So I really love all, all the things that you shared, and uh, I think it was a really interesting, um, a really interesting episode. Um, how, did you have a good time? How was it for you? Yeah, no, that, that was great. Um, it's funny. There's some points I've done interviews before. It's been a little while, but there are some points that came up that I've never really talked about before. Uh, like I never really, I don't think I've ever really talked about uh, how I learned and, and systemized or broke down my lettering mm -hmm. process. And I've shown, I've shown some process videos that demonstrate that, but I've never really talked about it. Um, I've just kind of talked about some of my That's origins. Amazing. That was amazing. Hello and welcome to another episode of Open Studio. I'm your host, Martina Flora, and in this interview-style episode, I have honest conversations with artists, designers, and creatives to uncover their story and the specific tactics they use to build a successful career around their skills and the work they love doing. Today, I'll be having a conversation with Kevin Cantrell, head of his eponymous studio, Kevin Functions, as the creative director and design lead for all client projects. Kevin has a deep understanding and love of lettering and typographical aesthetics. Earning a BFA in graphic design, he established his signature typographical aesthetics, applying them to clients such as Nike, Putman, Harvard University, Princeton University, the Cotton House, UNICEF, and more. His work has been recognized by communication arts, design and typographic annuals, graphics, Type Directors Club, Print Red Regional Design Annual, The One Show, and more. Kevin was named one of Print Magazine's 20 Under 30 New Visual Artists in 2014 and is an Art Directors Club Young Gun 2012. Kevin creates the type of work that makes people wonder, how did he do it? And during our session, he shared how he used observation to crack the system behind Victorian graphics and come up with his own signature style. During our conversation, Kevin spoke about the importance of making your art profitable, how becoming an expert can be beneficial for your business and more. He shared his approach to hiring and partner partnering with other people so that he can dedicate himself to spending most of his time doing work he loves doing. Kevin is a father of five, and during the podcast, we touch on work-life balance, including some hints on how to build confidence as an artist. If you're wondering how to develop a style and make money with your art, this episode will be especially useful. Enjoy the conversation with Kevin Cantrell. Hello, Kevin. How are you doing today? Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you, Martina. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Giving for those that are listening right now, tell us briefly who you are and what you do. Who I am, what I do. Those are ex existential questions for all of us, aren't they? Uh, my, my name is oh, yes. Control. I'm a designer, hybrid, uh, illustrator, lettering artist. Uh, I sometimes dabble in display type design too. And I, I specialize in luxury products and luxury brands. Uh, I work mm -hmm. with you know established brands. I work with startups. Both have their nuances and their pros and cons. Um, I live in Utah with my family. I have five kids, uh, which is probably just as crazy as my job, but it's uh, a wonderful, wonderful thing to uh, endeavor in. So, yeah, I've been doing this for about, geez, how long has it been now? I've been more, um, I guess I've been running my own studio now for almost 10 years, and I've been working professionally mm. for 
I guess getting close to 20 years minus a little bit of time I spent in Brazil mm. on a service on a service mission. So, yeah. Interesting. So, Kevin, I, I was reading, and we're going to um, uh, dive deeper into what you just mentioned, that you live in Brazil and all, all of this part of your story that I didn't know about or I couldn't find anything about online. Um, and I was reading before, um, so before we dive into that, I was, I was actually reading on your website that you have a bachelor in, in fine arts, right? And I wonder what your origin story is. What, you know, were you clear about the direction you wanted to take with your work when you left art school? How did you get into what you currently do? Okay, that's, uh, that's a good question. So, yes, I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts um, from, from BYU with an emphasis in graphic design. I, I mm. started my first year, I, was, I think I was 19. It was right, was it? No, I was 18 when I did my first year. And then I, um, I took mm. a two-year uh, service break, a mission to go to Brazil and do a, a mission for, mm. for my faith. And then I came back around 21. I went straight back into school and then took another three years to finish it. And then I got my first job in Salt Lake, which was in 2008, right when kind of the economy mm -hmm. crashed. <laughs> And so mm. I was originally planning on going to New York. Um, I had a job lined up. It was kind of more retail oriented, specialized in, you know, high end luxury retail, but that kind of fell through. And, and fortunately I found a job in Salt Lake with a, with a great studio there and, um, and, and hint creative. And I, I learned a lot there, but I also worked on a lot of things um, that a lot of, I mean, when, anytime you're working for a studio, you, you discover things that you really enjoy working on and things that you don't particularly enjoy mm. working on. And while I was there, I don't know why, but some, uh, there were just some projects I wasn't particularly, I just didn't feel like I was really, uh, I guess, using my full potential or my capabilities. And so on the side, mm. I started kind of d dabbling into lettering, uh, specifically Victorian, very, very ornate kind of 18th century, 19th century ornamentation and type. And I started doing that and ma making these kind of ridiculously ornate big posters. I also really, I've always loved printing and, and, you know, foil stamping, embossing, you know, really luxurious printing. And when I kind of combined the two, I guess I got some visibility and it, it brought me some, some work. And then, it, and then I started applying that to branding and, you know, mm. you know, first it was, you know, there was a coffee company, there was a, a wedding and events location in, in Britain that, that saw some of my work on Instagram. And so I started combining those skills and branding and, and really elaborate systems. And so then, that just led to another thing. I, then I did the Cotton House Hotel in Barcelona uh, through a friend of mine. And then I did, uh, ever since then, I've done several more hotels. And, and, and also the, the funny thing is, I, and I guess it kind of makes sense, but a lot of my work tends to work really well with alcohol. I don't, I don't drink. I don't drink any. I've never, mm. I've never drunk even an ounce <laughs> of alcohol. And I have like all these like whiskey, gin, vodka labels just sitting on my desk that I've designed. I did finally do a grape juice this year. I'm really excited about that. I did a grape juice. So I can drink that. I'm excited about that. It's pretty tasty too. So there you go. So anyway, so I do a lot of luxury uh, packaging and it just, one thing just led to another. Um, and mm. yeah, so I mean, I followed kind of something I, that I liked to kind of rekindle my love of design early on just because there were just some things that I just wasn't really enjoying. I was doing a lot of, I, I mean, just typical, right? For an agency, a lot of work that, uh, some work I did enjoy. I worked with some people who were mm. great. Uh, some great mentors who, who taught me a lot, taught me a lot about the business side of things, which is really important in running your own studio. And that enabled can you, me can to you mention, eventually. Can you mention some of them? 
some of the people I work with, yeah. Uh, you know, my, my, my boss there was Christian Hansen, who I think is mm -hmm. one of the great mentors of today. He's, he's, a, he's a really great teacher, mm -hmm. great art director. And he really taught me how to be processed and strategic in, in my work. And that, that really, but also yeah, he, he taught me about the business side. You know, you can do really beautiful things, but if nobody's going to pay you for it, you can't sustain your family. Like, with, I mean, there's not much you can do about that. You have to, at the end of the day, you have to be, mm. be able to support um, and sustain yourself. And, and so, and then, and then, you know, and then, so that was really a great, um, learning for me. And, you know, I worked with some great designers there. And then when I left, um, fortunately I found, you know, my current business partner and, and my brand strategist and business manager, Eric mm. Atkinson, who, who taught me even, uh, some, who, I guess it was kind of the next stage taught me some other things. I mean, licensing, um, contracts, you know, a lot of other things that are really important in, in negotiating, uh, business and making it so you can actually be profitable. And there are a lot of thin margins in design because a lot of when you do things that are really ornate, you do very ornate work too. It's it, there, there's always a thin threshold of. Um, there's actually a great book that talks about this. Uh, you know, the, it's about feeding the beast and and, and excellence uh, by Ed Catmull of Pixar. It's called Creativity. Well, and he it, talks what, about how the book's what's called the name again? Uh, Ed Catmull of Pixar who actually originally from Utah as well, interestingly, anyway. I, went to, I think he went to the University of Utah, though, which is our nemesis mm. rival, anyway. At least in football and sports. Although, I mean, they've been better than us for a long time, although most BYU fans just don't want to admit it, but that's just the truth. But, um, but anyway, so the, the Creativity talks about this constant battle you have, they have as, as a creative studio, where they're trying to make the best film they can, but at the end of the day, they have mm. to be profitable or they can't keep doing mm. it. So there's this threshold where you, you keep pushing, you keep trying to, to produce the best thing you can, but you have to make deadlines. You have to work within certain parameters, within certain time frames, And so there's just, there's a limit to, to how much, how great something can be, I guess. And, and, and that provides opportunity and it also provides limitations, which I think you need as a designer. You need limitations, you need parameters, you need restrictions. Um, you know, Sagmaster and Walsh, this was a long time ago, I went to a, uh, presentation they gave they talked about how they usually try to set themselves or give themselves restrictions or certain rules or limits to play with them when they're designing mm -hmm. and then they play but they have certain rules they create because if it's mm. just a free-for-all um the, and endless possibilities is like looking at a blank canvas it can be pretty intimidating and you have to anyway and every branding project has unique situations has unique limitations unique parameters that you have to work with it and and some of those are more challenging than others, but that's part of the challenge. And that's part of the, um, the struggle. And also part of what makes it interesting is a unique thing, a unique client, unique personalities, unique subject matter, unique challenges you have to work with. And that's part of what makes it, I think, every time pretty, pretty engaging to work in. Yeah, and I, and I love that you mentioned that because I think that I always say that having a briefing as a designer or a maker or a, an artist is so important. Having like a starting point, having a deadline, it provides a little bit of a framework of how much, how far you can go uh, with details, with timings, right? And um, and you know, looking at your style, when you know, before jumping into into this call i was looking like scrolling through your website and i was thinking like well my god like your style is so distinct and it's like whenever i see something of yours i think like that's kevin's for sure and for those that are listening first i wanted to touch on how do you get to create to develop that style how did i look like for you 
And connect that with what you were mentioning before, which has to do with, you know, how far you can go with adding details and like procrastinating around a, a piece of work when you need to meet a client's deadline, right? And looking at your work, I think for myself, like, well, I mean, how do you find that balance being your work so elaborate and working for so many clients at the same time or for a, a number of clients at the same time, same time? How do you find that balance where you can still be faithful to your style, but at the same time be profitable uh, and meet client deadlines? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I don't know if I've quite uh, cracked the code on that yet. Um, pretty much I, I, I just come to terms with, I don't feel like any project I've ever finished is truly finished or truly perfected. I don't mm -hmm. think I've ever achieved anything that's even close to perfect. It's just, I, I get it to where it's the mistakes and the errors are just less noticeable. <laughs> Um, mm. because you just, again, you have to, you have to work because at the end of the day, I have to feed my family, I have to feed my kids, you know? And so I can't, I, and, and there are some projects I have on the side where, cause this is the thing too, as, as a designer, as an artist, you always want to push and extend your, your, your limits. And that's mm. a, it's a thin line there because you can't use each project as a learning curve because if mm. every project is pushing and you're trying, and obviously I want to try something new. But all at the same time, I want to lean into my, my strengths. And, and I know my weaknesses. I know my, my limitations as a designer, as an artist. I, I want to push mm -hmm. and lean into some of those. But at the same time, I also want to do what I know and I'm confident in being able to execute. And as I continue to push those limits, yeah. it, it increases my, my arsenal, my toolkit. My, my, uh, it increases my capabilities and my technical ability to execute something. And sometimes I don't know if I can do something. Sometimes, um, when I first started out, I'm like, I, I didn't know I could do certain things. And that's, that's I, guess, I guess, was part of the fun and the discovery of learning I could do some of those things. Now, I do know as a designer and certain things and, and tendencies I have. And, and, I, and yeah, I guess you could say um, style. Like, there's there, there certainly, um, and I think part of that's because every person has a personality that, and certain things and, and aesthetics that they, they lean towards. And then when they execute, some of that's going to come through. And that's, and I think that, and I think that's just fine. Every studio is going to have a specific, again, it depends on the studio, it depends on the agency, the bigger the agency, the more influx of talent. And so they're not necessarily going to have a specific style or look because they're going to have a lot of talent and they will have certain art directors who are directing that talent. Because like, if you look at, for example, Colin's studio, like not every project looks even remotely alike, like, which is incredible. I, I think they're one of the greatest, the great branding agencies right now, Collins, they do phenomenal work that's always pushing the edge of technological ability and feasibility. And I mean, if you look at, for example, their SF uh, Symphony brand, which is, which is a phenomenal brand system, it really pushes the limits of what you can do from a technical standpoint with type and almost borderline letter, uh, on lettering because of its ability to adapt and change based on the musical notes that, that's inspired by. It's really brilliant. And, and part of me is like, how do they do that? Like, how do they have the time to experiment and um, and they have they have a lot of immensely talented people working for them, who um, who are gifted in, in you know in in the in the technology to be able to execute some of those things. But still, and and, and Brian uh, Brian Collins has always been uh, someone who's pushed the limits uh, creatively ever since. I mean, I, I've known him since I was at BYU because he came and gave a talk there. Uh, that must have been, geez, eighteen years ago or so. Anyway, back when he was. Hmm. Where was he at? Was he at Big? 
big agency. Anyway, it was right before he formed uh, Collins. But anyway, and and, and I, so uh, there, there are always people I look at for inspiration and, and see what they're doing. But um, and I wonder, like, how do they have the how do they have the time to experiment to, to and execute something as technically mm. proficient as that, and have it look absolutely amazing? And it's I don't know. It's it's a it's a difficult threshold to have. Um, but but you know, look at these projects about okay. And I'll have an idea. Sometimes um, I'll have an idea early on, or sometimes the idea will come as I'm looking for reference material, or I'm studying, or I'm, or I'm concepting, you know, that brand. Some brands, you know, it's like the ad, the, the idea just comes like, like, uh, like for example, the, the Palmer branding system I did, um, which the logo is inspired by the top of a can um, that you pop open, mm-hmm. and it looks, it looked like a monogram to me when I when I knew their name, and then they actually yeah. changed part of the name midway through our branding system and so they actually were palmer candy and then they changed it to palmer beverage and then so i'm like okay how do i change this monogram to be a pc to a p (laughs) (laughs) that that, so that created a whole unique um challenge is they changed the name of the of the brand halfway through our our entire project anyway and luckily we were able to adapt to that and it wasn't too different from what we were doing and and it seems also from what i hear it seems also that you know having Going back to the idea of style, having a style for you also means that you can you can more efficiently perform and deliver, right? And while there's still yeah. some room for you to explore and kind of push your boundaries and learn something new, you were mentioning before like script lettering, right? For those that don't know, script lettering is that that one that it comes from handwriting and. Um, and right when you when when we look at your work, perhaps you don't have so much of that, and it's not the the style or the lettering style that you will uh, that you will go first when you have to tackle a client project or a personal project, right? And um, but it seems that your style is also a way of like making it easier for you to execute when you have a client project in hands, right? And I want to to go back to, or to ask you to go back to the the first years when you started and when you were, you know, when you found your interest into what you do right now, which you do really well. And, and wh- how were those years? How were those years trying to figure out and find what your style was? And if you can recall what were some of the things and the strategies that work for you to develop the style that you have nowadays and i know that you mentioned before that you know this style keeps developing and this is normal for every artist you know like you 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 continue pushing you continue uh, finding new ways of um of doing your art but how were those first steps can you remember that like those first years where you were like oh i like lettering and i feel that i you know i i can do something with this and what were some of the things that you that you did to find your own style? Yeah, that's a good question. The the, the I always went so when um, I did an internship in New York, it was actually mm. the, the agency that I was offered a job right out of school that I was I was planning on going to, um, but then with the economic downturn, that that ended up not working out. But when I was at at that internship in New York, I, I stumbled upon this this swipe this book. Of this old Victorian ephemera, um, and, and then he also had this branding system by Devera, which sells extremely ridiculous, like ridiculous, extreme, rare objects. Uh, you know, anyway, for, for lack of a better term, 
um, far above my price point uh, that I can afford. But anyway, but their brand system was this really beautiful kind of Spencerian yeah. identity system of these this ornate illustration that was the Spencerian style with this really contemporary sans serif paired with it. And it was done through thermography. So it had, it was, it was basically like, um, which is kind of like a technique of it, like engraving, but done kind of not quite as premium as printing, but it had this raised surface to the ink that I, th I just thought was beautiful. And it gave a dimension to that Spencerian illustration. I just, I was just in awe by it. And combined with the Victorian um, uh, ephemera that I'd seen there, I just, I don't know, it's just, uh, maybe it's um, my mom, my, I don't know, maybe it's part of my family lineage coming through uh, i get my mom it's funny my, my wife is a genealogist so she has yet to confirm this but my mom always says that her great-great-grandfather the duke of versailles um <laughs> and my wife's like i can't confirm that so i don't, I don't <laughs> anyway but i'll i'll rather deny to confirm that but anyway so so i've always really loved victorian and really ornamental decor and uh, filigree and so when i saw that and how that was paired with this modern type and aesthetic and this really clear negative space. My God, there's something about that I just, I just really loved. And then I, and then when I was there, I actually started kind of doodling and sketching and I was just really bad at it, <laughs> like really bad. <laughs> and so I just kind of gave up on it for a bit. I just, I never went back to it. And then, uh, you know, flash forward a few years later when I was, um, and at that point too, I was still learning technology. I was still, actually my senior year, I started a project. I, I, okay, so this, this, this is connecting, a good connecting point. My senior year when I went, so this was between my junior and my senior in school, I went back and I did this really ornate branding program for what was the, the Teatro La Fenice. And I, I incorporated a lot of those components into it. And it, it took me, and I'd never drawn, and back at that point, it didn't have the thick, the thin tool and illustrator, so I had to do all that manually. And I still do a lot of that manually too, but um, it's, it's definitely a lot easier now with that tool. But, and so I had to learn how to draw and create my, um, and do really ornate things. So I had to learn where to put the right, you know, points, vector points on the extreme points. Mm -hmm. And that took me hours and hours to figure out how to render that. And so then I started to technically be able to execute some of those things in isolation um, in my senior year. And so then flash forward, you know, probably, I don't know, three, four years later, I stumbled upon, and many, many people will be familiar with this, but the Sanborn map, uh, insurance posters and I looked at those and, the, and when I did a study on those posters if you actually look at the collection of them you can see that they 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 obviously had a library of assets that they repeated for many of those posters and then they had embellishments that were custom per poster and so if you look at it you'll see oh there's certain borders there's certain decorative components that they had that are repeated throughout the posters it's very systemized and then certain components like the the big name if it's Salt Lake City for like there's a beautiful um, Salt Lake City sandboard map if you look at the lettering across the board, those are where they kind of have their custom points. I'm like, okay, there's a system to this. Every, everything has a pattern. Everything in life is a pattern. Mm -hmm. Everything is system-based. You simply have to learn to recognize the pattern in anything, mm -hmm. whether it's math, whether it's anything science, anything. Everything is pattern-based. And if you can learn to break apart and understand systems, you can learn to do branding because branding is all, all system-based. I mean, fantasy books, it's all about world building. It's all about creating a system. Um, everything that's successful is system-based. And so branding is really about creating a, a successful system uh, and a unique one. And so I, I looked at how the, the Sanborn maps had created kind of a system of, the, of these assets. And, like, and, and, I, and just for the record, I don't actually repeat any assets from, from like project to project. I always create unique assets. Um, maybe I should start repeating some of those assets to save some time. But, <laughs> but, I, just, but I saw that, the, that they were, that there was, 
if, if there's a system and I can recognize the pattern, I can break that down into its pieces and I can execute that. I can replicate that because mm. I, know how to, I know how to look at systems and patterns. And so once I was able to then look at the type, I then took the type, okay, I'm really bad at drawing type. How do you draw type? So I, I started to create a grid system. Okay, I created the grid and I started to draw like curves and angles on that grid. And obviously you have to, you have to adjust for kerning and lettering. And I figured out some techniques to how to expedite that and be more efficient at that. Um, but then I started to just draw and just naturally create my own way to do lettering based on that grid and, and a system. Mm. And I started to replicate those systems I saw so I could learn how they did it so that I could then execute and, and create my own or improve my own skill set to then create freely. And so I think replicating is really how you learn. And then it gives you the, the confidence and the ability to then self-express. And so once I was able to replicate those things, it's, and I think there's a, you, can, you can see kind of my evolution as a type designer, if you look at even just my, my seven days poster series, which one day I'm hoping to finish. <laughs> if you look at the first, the second, and the third poster, you can see there's a natural evolution of how much they adhere to the source material. The first poster, the Luminatas, is very close to the Sandborn maps because it's, it's full on just replicating. And obviously it has some unique touches. Obviously I didn't, just, I didn't just take an exact composition. I took some of those things and I created something new with it. And then I combined it with print technique and the concept, you know, this idea of lights and the light paper, which is really cool. But then if you go to the, my next poster, the Aguas poster, I'm starting, I'm beginning to self-express. So some of the type, for example, takes on the personality of water in it. And it's a, a bit of a unique expression. But then if you go to my third poster, it's just way further evolved from the source material because it began to, again, learn um, and master, well, not that I've mastered anything, but, but I'm saying become confident enough in certain abilities to execute something where it became much more removed from the source material and became more my own thing. Just to make it clear for those listening, I, I'm just looking, um, I was just looking at these posters you're referring to right now, and you can find it on your website under store, if I'm not wrong. So if you go to your store, yeah. um, you can find a series of these posters that you're talking about, which are really incredibly elaborate and intricate and i think they're a very good example for those that don't know your work they're a very good example of um your very distinct style um so for those that are listening and are not familiar with your work i want to invite you uh to go to uh kevin's uh website which is kevincantrell.com that is uh, Cantrell with a c and two l's uh, and you can check on, on his store and you will find these posters uh, Kevin is talking about. So, um, so it's, it's so interesting, Kevin, because you, you, you speak about, you know, you started by replicating and mm -hmm. then you sort of cracked. And I love this idea of like cracking the system of creativity because I think sometimes or we often or I feel that many of us artists grew up um, believing that creativity is all about chaos and you know surprise and i i love that you have this this approach to creating that has to do with with systems and understanding you know how how do i get to do my work you know and cracking cracking that system for yourself in a way and it seems that you you started you discovered what was your system by by understanding what was other people's system you know just by looking at at other references and seeing what the parts are and how did they did they put the part to get the parts together so that they made sense? Um, and I love this. Like I love this this concept of like 
hey, there is a system behind everything and there, and everything that is successful. And in order to make your art successful, um, you can also crack your own system, right? Um, yeah, I often feel that having kind of like having a system and creativity are kind of like opposed uh, terms. And, you know, the more I, I, I work with designers and artists and the work, the more I develop my own work, I tend to think that, hey, there is, there is a system behind, there is, there is a way to go about this. It's not just about like sitting and creating and let, let the inspiration come and, uh, and enlighten you. It's a lot more about having that system in place, right? No, no, totally. Um, I think one of the scariest things to look at is a total blank canvas. That can be one of the most intimidating things to look mm. at, even at this stage of my career. Um, and it's funny because it's yeah. like, um, obviously there are certain things that are easier now as I have more experience, but it's still a hard profession. Like it's still, it's always hard to make something that's excellent. Like, and it's part of the thrill and part of what's enticing and fulfilling about it, but it's still pretty stressful. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I've, I'm really proud of a lot of things I've done, but it's like, if I look back at where I was when I first started out, um, it, there are different challenges, you know, back then when you knew less mm. there in a, in, a, in a sense, when you're untested and you have nothing to lose, there, there's not as much of an intimidation factor, you know, there's not much, I mean, there is in the sense of, okay, well, maybe this is going to suck, but I mean, I did have my job, I did, it's not like I had, um, it's not like it had to be successful, but then flash forward to now it's like, okay, I've had a lot of success. Um, I've done a lot of things that uh, I think are, are, are really well done. Uh, maybe some things that I didn't quite fulfill the maximum potential of that product that I hoped I could have, but it's still, it's, it's always, there's, there's no shortcut to excellence. Um, you become, it's, and, and mm -hmm. actually creativity in Greg Cadmill talks about this. It's, it's, he, he compares it to a three act play, but there are three acts, um, like a traditional screenplay, there are three acts in the creative process. There's the initiation phase, right? The, which in most screenplays within the first few pages, you have what's called the inciting event, where basically, you know, you get you, you in the first pages, you get established in the world and then something happens mm. that throws it off, right? And that's what engages the viewer. Mm. And so initially you have the excitement phase, you have a new project, all the possibilities, oh, this could be this, it could be awesome, it could be so cool, but you're also somewhat intimidated. And that kind of kicks in when the inciting, like when the inciting event happens, like, oh, maybe this is really gonna suck. Maybe this isn't gonna be as good as I thought it was gonna be. <laughs> then in the screenplay, it's called, it's called the twilight phase. And then like, for lack of a better example, um, like um, uh, I'll give you the example in like Mulan, for example, in Mulan, it's typically the hallmark of, of act, the end, the conclusion of act two mm. is the low of the low moments for the character. So Mulan, they discover that she's really a girl and she gets, she's about to get killed because it's the death penalty, but luckily she happened to save the dude's life. And so he spares her by returning the favor. But she's destitute, she's left, she's dishonored her family. It's the, that's, the, that's the low of the low for her character moment, right? And then you have, and so that's the twilight phase. Is it gonna work out? How do you get through this? How do you navigate those waters? And then you have the third act, the conclusion, the resolution. And she obviously goes in and she kicks the dude's butt and then she wins and she saves her family and she becomes, you know, this awesome character. I mean, she was always, she was awesome, but, but then she becomes kind of known and, and the resolution happens. And creative, very similar process, you know, where you, you all, no matter, and, and this is the thing that, that Pixar talks about at Catmo is no matter how much experience you have, no matter how much success you've had, every creative on every project has to go through those three phases. It's not like your past success guarantees 
that she will successfully navigate that twilight phase. Everybody goes through that every time. That's part of what makes it so thrilling when you come out with something good. Now, with more experience, you learn to navigate those waters more confidently, but you still have to navigate them. And that's the thing that can be really daunting sometimes is it's hard. Um, And and the shortcut to doing something that's great, it never gets it never gets shorter. But but I don't know. It's, uh, It's a fun ride. I love how we how we went deep into style and how you develop a style and how you go about creativity. And to, just to wrap up this this topic before we, we dive into other topics that I would love to talk uh, with you about is I wonder if this, you know, having this distinct style uh, help your business and help you, you know, stand out in the crowd when it comes to um, doing client outreach or getting clients. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, this is this is branding 101 is you have what makes you mm. different, what makes you unique, because people ultimately will come to you for what you are, what you are known for, what you are, what, what is your unique um, specialty or your unique skill set that, that, that is different or above someone else. And so in a sense, that can be style for an illustrator, that can be a specific type of, of work you do that you have experience in. So for an agency, yeah. for example, maybe you specialize in sports, you know, Nike, mm. maybe you specialize in beverage, maybe you specialize in like, so I do um, high end luxury typically. Um, so I do mm. a lot of, uh, I do a lot of uh, luxurious packaging I do a lot of bra- uh, hotel branding. And, you know, sometimes I do high end restaurants too, like, uh, like Tavern on the Green and a couple other restaurants I've done, uh, like one at the Chateau Grand, for example. And so when you when you have expertise in a field because because you know that you know the you know the I guess you could say the competitive white space mm-hmm. and you have certain expertise in that people will come to you because you know that field and you know how to do it and you know how to do it well mm-hmm. because you've had success and you've demonstrated that and so as an illustrator if you have a style that people come to you because it has a certain thing that fits uh, as because as, I, I wear many hats um, I like being in the trenches so I never want to be too far removed from design. But sometimes I cre- I'm, a, I'm a creative director and I'll art direct certain things. I know my limitations as an illustrator. I know what I can and what I can't do. Mm. And I try to usually pick projects that I can do within my skill set. But sometimes I need other people who can complement that. And so you'll go to someone for a unique ability that they have that complements yours. Yeah. Um, and as a creative agency or as a creative director where you're more removed typically and you're usually overseeing things and you're, you're the big idea person, that's not a hit at all. That's just people wear different hats and have different roles and different agencies have to function that way or they can't get all those big things done. And so you wanna get the right talent who has, who has specific skill sets that will complement and execute that vision that you have. And so as an illustrator, if you have something you're known for and you're really good at, uh, like Jessica Hesch. Jessica Hesch is, is a terrific artist, right? She's, she's ext- extremely talented. I think, I think I just saw her post uh, about Logo She's Defender uh, yesterday, really, really nicely done. And so people come to her because she's done tons of, of those revamps on logos. She's really good at that. She's really good at very at myriad styles and she has experience and, so, and she's successful. So they're going to go to her because she has an expertise in that. And she's, and, and so that's, that's what you have to do is you have to demonstrate that. And for me, it started with, and, and many artists will, will express something like this, where I, I had to demonstrate I could do that and, and create my own opportunity. And then once I did that, when people saw I could do that, then business opportunities came um, like Eric Marinovich yeah. another phenomenal phenomenal um, talent and really cool guy Eric Marinovich 
Uh, he did. He showed uh, this campaign. We had him on the podcast as well. I think it, it was uh, it was episode. For those that are listening, I think it was episode number eighty six. Uh, but we had him on the podcast as well, and it's interesting because he was he was actually. Um, you know, he's very much just going, uh, coming back to, to the idea of style before we move on to a, a, another topic is that Eric, on the other side, really is really opposed to having a style. Like he really um, rebels against style, right? And I think that is for, for many artists, uh, having a style, you know, we were talking about how efficient it could be, but at the same time, for many artists, it could be like a little bit of a jail, you know, like clients come, yeah. keep on asking you for the same thing over and over. And I can imagine that for someone, um, for someone like you that has already like five, five kids, like you have a, a family, you have a lot of projects going on, you have your hands full of, of different things to, uh, to juggle. Um, then having a very distinct style can make things easier, right? But for, um, for Eric, for instance, it was really a, for him, it felt like, hey, I, I don't want to be asked the same thing over and over. Right. Um, right. So I just, I'm just, I was just looking at when did we have Eric on the podcast, just to um, direct to the audience to this episode. So we had Eric Marinovich uh, on episode 43. For those that want to go check it out um, after you listen to this podcast episode. So, um, Kevin, I would like to. Just take a left turn here and talk about something that you mentioned before. You mentioned that you have been, you have a, a business partner who is Eric Atkinson. Can mm. you tell us a little bit about him? And well, in yeah. a way, how does your partnership work? Works? How do you separate tasks and roles? And if it was always like this, or you were working on your own before? Yeah, uh, it's funny. He so Eric approached me. Eric originally was basically a talent manager for Salad. A Salad agency used to be a hub for for myriad creative talents. So he actually you know, he um, worked mm. early with like Dan Casero. He worked with John Cantino. Again, both immense talents. Mm. Dan Casero was a very talented designer. For, um, head of Young Jerks with well with uh, with another Dan. Uh, anyway, another a great illustrator Dan. Uh, anyway, these guys are really funny. Um, but immense talents. And even those two have very complementary skill sets. Dan is, uh, does much more elaborate illustrative work. And Dan, Dan does um, ornate work too, but more type centric. And Dan's good with type too. But anyway, and they, they, they have a lot of talent that works with them. But so he was kind of a, a, a parent um, or a hybrid. He was a talent hunter. And so when I won Young Guns, he saw my work and he's like, oh, Kevin does something that could, could, could add to our arsenal of talents. And so then uh, he approached me and was like, well, and he suggested we work on a project or two to see how well we could work together. And then I guess the short story is, is basically how he only works with me. And, and, and he really wanted to get more into brand strategy because he has, a, he has a, a master's degree in, in brand strategy. And so anyway, so when Eric approached me and we first, did, I think the first project we worked on was Tomstown, which I'd never done Art Deco. I never, you know, and, and it was a very elaborate system. We still work with Tomstown. Anyway, those guys are a great client, really fun to work with. You know, we just did a... Oh, actually, anyway, I, um, I did this cool label for that. It's funny. I have all this work I haven't posted in like the last two years because I just I'm so busy. I just have no time to post anymore. I just wanted to 
quickly go back to um, to your partnership with Eric, and because I think this this is especially interesting for our listeners who are mostly solopreneurs or freelancers and are wondering if they could do better or easier uh, when they collaborate with someone. And I want to ask you, what are some of the pros and cons of having a partner? And I, I'm really interested in this because personally, I, I do have a um, I do have a team that I work with, but I don't have a partner. I am like the let's say like the, the boss in my business. And I, I always wonder if if it would be interesting for me or um, it would make things easier for me to have a partner. And I find, you know, I find really challenging just matching visions and ideas with someone that is standing at the same level, I think, especially when it's a business that I that I built on my own and it's also built in a way around my skills, around my um, persona. Uh, so I want to ask you a little bit, what, you know, what are some of the pros and cons of having a partner and how will you f- go about finding one that fits you? Uh, good question. For me, it was very serendipitous and it just happened. Um, Eric contacted me, we did a couple products mm. and it just worked, it worked very well. And, this, and I think that the key thing is, is in a partnership, at, well, back up. So first of all, as an individual, and you mentioned you have a team, you can't do everything by yourself. Uh, it's a, and and, and depending, depending on your goals you want to achieve, you have to assess, okay, what are the goals I want to achieve? Can I do these all by myself? And usually, again, it depends on what you want to do. Like, you know, Jessica Hish, for example, even has a manager. She has a talent rep. I don't know if she still works with them, but, but different people have different roles that they fill that, and they, you want mm-hmm. them to compliment yours. So for me, I know there's certain things I'm not very good at. And then, I just, and then also that I, I can do, but I don't want to do. I don't want to manage mm-hmm. clients. I don't want to negotiate contracts. I don't want to do, I can't do brand strategy. I mean, I know a lot of brand strategy now, but I don't want to have to do that. I don't want to do copywriting. There are many things I don't want to do and that I'm not mm-hmm. as technically proficient at. And Eric can wear those hats and compliment that. And we're doing big brands. Like it's really hard to do really big brands by yourself because they're enormous. I mean, it could be a six month yeah. project, right? And to do really yeah. big elaborate brands that are strate- that are strategy, that have positioning, have, and sometimes we, you know, we named, like we've named you know, several hotels now too. That's, that's a very specific skill set that you need people who can add to your, your talents mm-hmm. and your abilities that increase your studio's potential and your, your studio's ability mm-hmm. to output. And so, and also it, it, like, I'm not, there's certain, like, there is a lot, like you mentioned earlier, how there's this chaos with creativity. And I actually feel that a lot. Like, like my office right now is an absolute disaster. I mean, if you could see it, it basically represents, I think very well my life right now, because my life is very chaotic right now, just because I mean, it's amazing because you always, you always look so, you always look so pristine. You told me right before starting the the episode, you told me that, oh, my, my, my desk is a mess. My office is a mess. And I, I was like, really? You know, you always look so pristine and your work looks so, so in control. And I love that, that you have that other side of you. <laughs> uh, no, like um, there, there's a great book called Flow. I can't remember the author's name because mm. it's very hard to pronounce. But in Flow, um, it talks about how you can get into this mindset where that basically it, it, been, it, it obscures your sense of your perception of time. Um, when you enter flow. So for example, a heart surgeon, when they're in the, the moment and operate on the heart, they can count seconds into nanoseconds because it's, it's, it's critical 
so the person doesn't die, they're operating on. So t- they can count that and time expands. And so they can execute their vision. Mm. If you're playing basketball and you're in the zone, if you're mountain climbing, if you're running and you can get in that moment when you're, you're no longer looking at the past or the future, you're just in that moment in time kind of freezes. Like if, if you've probably experienced this with lettering where suddenly you look at the time and six hours have gone by and like, whoa, that felt like five minutes yeah. because you were in flow. Um, and so, and so sometimes I, I can be in that a lot, but in order to have all my psychic energy focus on that task, uh, I sometimes like my wife will walk in and she had a haircut and, and it was three weeks ago. I'm like, oh, did you change your hair? <laughs> uh, if you're in a relationship, it's bad. Don't ever do that. It's bad advice. But, uh, but because I'm so focused on, 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 on all of those things I have, it takes a lot of mental energy and capacity. And so in, in some other mm. aspects, my other aspects of my life can be very chaotic because it, um, I'm always yeah. busy. I'm, I mean, I'm working around, I'm, I'm always working like, and I love my work. I love the work, but also it's very stressful yeah. and it can really wear you down sometimes. And so you need someone who can help yeah. you with that, who can help bear that and compliment you and also keep you on, tra- on task too. Because you need deadlines, you need parameters as we talked about earlier. And so having a partner, and for me, it works really well. Eric's, Eric's, and, and, and partnerships can be hard too. Like Eric and I are really good, we're really close, we're really friends. I mean, I know his kids, he knows my kids. Like we've worked together for a lot of years. He also knows my, something like some, some I, I can be a very hard personality to work with sometimes um, because there are certain things. And, and this is one of the downfalls too of doing um, branding that's really ornate is because it's so time consuming uh, and you need, and for many products I've worked on, I usually only present one concept, but sometimes that's not, that's, mm. sometimes you need to present there, there, there's more than one possible solution and yeah and so because of how time consuming it is sometimes you know there'll be creative disagreements or you know he'll be like oh we need to show something that has a different um a different look or feel that that fits this position this strategic positioning too so we can show it's a viable path and sometimes i'll disagree um and that's fine you you want to some of those creative tensions can spark better results and that's good but you need someone who can yeah it's an intimate relationship and, and, and they're going to get to know the good and the bad side of you. And hopefully they can <laughs> on both sides, right? Cause, cause it is stressful when you're working, but at the end of the day, people are people, you, you know, it's an intimate relationship and, yeah. um, and you, you want to do the best you can to work with someone who you can trust oh, yeah. and you can rely on and they can rely on you. And, um, anyway, like, you know, help negotiate your fees. And, and obviously they're going to take a certain part of what you're going to make. And so you have to understand, you have to be like, okay, first of all, I'm making enough money that we can, I can do that. Um, and that's another mm. thing you have to weigh, but, but it, it's very hard to, to, to go it alone. Yeah. I just, I just, I just wanted to, to highlight something that you mentioned, which has to do with this partnership that you have with Eric, right? Which has to do with the vision and how, how as an artist and as a designer, as a creator, you should find someone that helps you realize the vision. And I think that I, I realized that, I would say like in the middle of my career, when I look back, I started building my team um, like five years ago. And and I can, I can see the difference between the results that I was getting when I was alone and the, the kind of results that I'm getting right now when, when I am collaborating with other people. And I also wanted to highlight the fact that, you know, whoever you, you are working with or you decide to work with, you need to have a 
deep trust because you are, you know, this is the person who is going to help you realize that vision. It has to be on board with that vision. It has to be aligned with that vision. Um, and in a way, they will be, you know, they will be also the people who will represent you in front of others and will speak about mm. you and your work and your company in front of others, right? And I see that also, I also work with a, an agent for 10 years now. And, you know, for me, it has been so important to also meet them as people and understand that, hey, th these are great guys and these are, you know, these are people I would be friends with. And even if we have a working relationship right now, uh, I know that they are, if we wouldn't, wouldn't be working together, perhaps we'll be hanging out together. And if we, if we will be living in the same city, we'll be probably friends, right? Or very likely we could be friends, right? And and I think this is a great way of going about finding your team or finding someone to partner with. I think that sometimes the expertise or the know-how is something that you can actually learn. And, and, and sometimes it's more important to get on board people that, are, um, that have the right attitude and have um, the right mindset and you can trust in that you know, having someone who is super expert in what they do um, and not having the, the other side. You know what I mean? Um, for instance, oh. I, you know, I have someone like the senior designer in my team when he joined, who is Elias, and he is also the editor of this podcast. So Elias, you're going to be listening to this right now. Um, so when, when, he, uh, when he came to the studio, he uh, started with an internship and he has a training as a uh, as a product product designer and i always say this tell this story because it's amazing the progress that he has made in just three years that he has been working with me and you know and he was a product designer but and he didn't know anything about drawing letters but at the same time i saw in him that that he had an, a certain attitude towards the work and he was really interested in learning and he was really aligned to the way I treat people. I am about, you know, a lot of other things in my work. So I just want to um, go to, like, I just wanted to highlight that, that importance uh, or that thing that you mentioned, uh, which I think could be helpful for our, um, our listeners out there that are, you know, solopreneurs and they're wondering like, hey, I have to, I have to do a lot of things. I feel overwhelmed and I may need help, but I don't know how to go about it. And I think that sometimes, you know, the solution has to do with finding someone who is, is aligned with the vision that you have and kind of asking for help and showing them how, how, do you like the things to be done, right? And always having that conversation Definitely. of like, hey, I, I want you to compliment me in this. I, I will take care of this. You take care of that. And I trust you that you will do that, right? Yeah, um, my, my sister-in-law, you know, tells me this, but, you know, one person can't do three tasks at once, but two people mm. can do three tasks at once. There's, there's a synergy. Yeah. There's, a, there's an ability where you have somebody who helps you that increases your ability together that you couldn't do by yourself. And, and yeah. for some people that's great. Um, and you know, for others, you know, some people, some people like going alone and, and it's fine. Different personalities yeah. will react and, and have different strengths and different abilities and that's fine. 
And I want to, this is a perfect segue to one of the last things I wanted to touch on as we are closing this episode. Um, so you mentioned before, you know, we went through your style, how you develop your style. You also mentioned how you go about your business and how did you create this partnership that allows you to be in your genius zone and to uh, be that person that gets in the flow and kind of gets the work done and um, you are kind of like the craftsman of your business whereas Eric is kind of like the person who um, does the project management and the, the client outreach right and I want to ask you you know going back to your style and looking at your style I bet that our listeners are already scrolling down your website um, in awe and uh, and I wonder how does this, your style, which is very elaborate, um, finds a place in your lifestyle because you have you have five children. You told me, right? You you confirmed yeah. before we started the the podcast, uh, and yet you managed to do you to continue um, doing the work that you do in in such a you know in such a detail, uh, with such a detail uh, work and pattern design. Um, so is there any, or are there any productivity tips or ways in which you structure your day that allows you to get the best out of your day? And I ask you this because I know that because I work with a lot of uh, artists and students, I know that this is what they struggle the most with. Um, I know that for many of us, we have a lot of different things to tackle uh, during the day for some of uh, some of the our listeners and the students I work with, like they may have a day job and they they do or they um, they invest time in their craft after they, they their day job or they have you know their freelance business and they they um, they need to sort of um, administrate the time that they have and I wonder in your case where you have you know you run a family you have five children you have a business how how do you go about organizing your day so that you can get the best out of it and still be able to create work that is really elaborate yeah that's a that's a that's a good question um uh, there's a couple things one is I really think it's important when you're leaning into something you've never done before it can really be a confidence mm. killer because the first few times it's really going to suck. Um, it takes a, it takes a lot of practice, mm. a lot of, of redoing to be good at something. And so because of that, it's important to have things in your life and other goals you can achieve that build confidence. So for example, mm. I, for me, something that's really important is exercise and, and working out. I really like working out. I really like running and that's, uh, and, and running for me uh, and lifting weights, actually increases my attention span and my focus and it makes me sharper. Mm. Uh, I'll go out like last week, last week I, ran, I did a 10 mile run, um, you know, just middle of the day. And also I work for myself so I can, I can plan my schedule accordingly. I can, I know sometime between one and four, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do an hour, hour and a half run, or I'm going to go do an hour and a half, an hour of weightlifting. And for me, I know that after I've done that, I'm way sharper. I'm way faster. I just, I just think clearer. And I get, I, I get going a little later. Like I usually start my day around 10 a.m. I work till like seven, and then I usually help get the kids down, help get the kids get the kids to bed. Then I work again till like midnight. Then I, you know, repeat every day. So anyway, um, but so for me, having other tasks, other goals that I can achieve and be successful and builds creative confidence. And so I know, okay, I can go and do, I can go run a half marathon. I can do that very well. I can do it, you know, at a sub seven mile pace. 
Um, and that's another challenge, another thing I push myself in that, and, and anytime you can, you can have a, a task on a schedule that you complete, it creates a synergy, it creates um, a type of accomplishment that aids you in something else that you might fail in. When I first started doing lettering, it was, it was outside of my day job. Um, I did it on the side, it was a passion project. And the funny thing is, is mm. even, in, even though we're in creative fields and I do creative all day, I still need creative outlets because at the end of the day, I'm still a task. I'm still working for a taskmaster. I'm still providing a service yeah. for a client, and it's not always what I wish it could be. Sometimes, a lot of times, it is thankfully because I've built a career that has enabled me to do a lot of that. But at the end of the day, it's still I'm trying to do the best and realize the vision for a client, not my own vision, mm-hmm. um, to a certain extent. But. So that's why I have my book or I do card decks. I'm trying to launch some, some card decks of my own right now. And, and that creates a creative outlet that enables me to be like, okay, I get the creative say on this. I get to, ex- and it also increases my skill capacity. Okay, I want to do a card deck under this subject matter. Can I do that? Or, or, you know, or like my book, I've never done a graphic novel before. I've never illustrated a full book. I've never, and you're probably like, man, you just do like Victorian ornamentation. How are you going to do a graphic novel? It's like, well, wait, wait and see. Um, <laughs> but but it, again, that gives me a, a possibility of, of doing something unique and different that can invigorate you. Eric, for the most part, is really good at helping stagger those deadlines. And so yeah. it's always manageable what I can output and what, what I can do in a day. But I'm actually really bad at planning in that sense. I just mm. wake up and I'm like, okay, I know I need to get this done today. I know Friday I have this deadline. I'll break it apart into what I need to do throughout the week to execute that. And I just get it done. But mm. I'm actually really, I hate having a schedule. Like I, I really, um, I, I like fight against it as much as I can. But luckily Eric's patient and he works with me. But, but at the end of the day, you have to make deadlines or people, you, number one, you won't get paid. I got to yeah. pay the bills. So I, I have yeah. the beast I have to feed. I got to pay my mortgage. I have to feed my kids. So, I mean, I have certain things I have to do because I have responsibility. But responsibility yeah. helps, helps us mature and, and progress and also gives us, gives us purpose in life. And I think that's really important for, for designers is understand that design is important, but the most important thing is learning along the way the relationships we make. At the end of the day, finding purpose and, and, and meaning in life. And design is one component of that, but there are many other aspects in life that provide that. And at the end of the day, what we take with us um, throughout this life and into the next is not necessarily one thing we design, but it's what we, how much we grow, how much we learn, and it's the relationships that we have. And so I always understand that relationships are paramount, and the people you love, the people you, know, you have relationships with, those are more important than any written or art project you have. Those can be important, and they can, be, they can help you know, increase your satisfaction in life. And having a sense of accomplishment is one of the best things you can ever experience in life. But at the end of the day, the end goal is how can I be a better husband and father? How can I be a better um, member of my community? And how can I help people? And I'm, I'm a hermit, so I'm probably not the best at the community sense. I try to do that, but I'm trying to be a better husband and father, so I, I can do that. So, What a perfect way of um, giving a closure to this episode. Um, I... Really appreciate everything that you have shared with us, Kevin, today. And I think our listeners will be delighted to hear your stories, all your your experience at doing the great work that you do. And I think it's great that you, you wrap it up, just bringing the focus back to what is important at the end of the day. Uh, because I think that for many of us, 
you know, we feel very related and very identified with the work that we do. But there's other things in life than just doing creative work. That's a way of accomplishing a, a lot of uh, stuff for us. Um, but there's other things that we we need to keep in mind. And I love that you that you are putting that front and center right now at the end of our conversation. Kevin, at the end of our episodes, I like to play a little game. And if you are ready for it, the play the game is called Finish the Sentence. Uh, so I basically start a sentence and you complete it. It's very short. Are you ready? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So I could never get bored of. Oh, jeez. Uh, my wife. <laughs> Style is. Overrated. I'm a little embarrassed by the fact that I know so little about the everything. <laughs> everything. <laughs> If I wouldn't be doing this for a living, I would be dead. This is my. What else am I gonna do? My wife always tells me that. <laughs> And maybe I don't, maybe I don't pay attention. Probably, probably the biggest one to my detriment. Well, she might be right. You didn't notice her haircut, her new haircut, right? <laughs> yeah, jeez. Yeah. Right now, right now is the perfect time to? Go on a run. It's a great day to go on a run. I'm going to go on a mm -hmm. run after this. If I were to start again, I would definitely... Oh, now that's a big question. Let's sleep more. Mm. Kevin, thank you so much for being on the show today. Where can people find you? Uh, it was a pleasure to be with you, Martin. Thank you for thinking of me and talking. Uh, you can find me, Kevin Cantrell Studio on Instagram, Kevin R. Cantrell on Twitter, although I don't really tweet much uh, significance anyway. But And, and Behance, Kevin Cantrell Design, I believe is my Behance. And that's it. Amazing. I will add all of this to our show notes so that listeners can find you. Thank you again, Kevin. No, thank you, Martin. It was, it was great talking with you. Um, I can't believe we haven't talked since, can't believe it's been three years. Yeah, it was a pleasure to meet you then and appreciate you thinking of me. Amazing. Thank you so, so much for, for taking the time to be here and for, you know, sharing all of the things that you have shared with our listeners. For those listening, thank you so much for tuning in today and see you on the next episode of Open Studio. Bye-bye. Thank you. So this is it. I hope you loved this episode. You can find me, the host of the show, on social networks at Martino Flor on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you have a question or comments, go to martinaflor.com slash podcast where you can see previous episodes find show notes, and send voice memos with your comments and questions. You can also watch these episodes on YouTube. Just go to martinoflor.com slash YouTube to find them. You can, of course, listen to all our episodes on your favorite podcast platform. If you loved this episode, subscribe to this podcast. And if you leave us a review, it will help others find us. Thank you all for listening and see you in the next episode of Martina Flores Open Studio. Bye-bye.
Hey, learning and mastering hand lettering can be incredibly overwhelming and frustrating. However, a proven framework can help you see real progress, populate a portfolio with standout work, attract paid assignments, and become your source of income. Sign up for my upcoming free masterclass called A Roadmap to Master the Art of Hand Lettering and Unlock Your Full Potential as an Artist. Hear what previous students have said about it. I got a lot of value out of the class. I feel like if you're interested in it, you can come to it from many different, you know, paths and still find something that's perfectly suited to you. So if you're, you know, a lettering artist, but you want to know how to make a career out of it, that's discussed. If you are lettering, but you're just kind of stuck in a rut and you want to learn how to advance, that's discussed. There, there are tips and tricks for that. And if you're just completely coming to it new, don't know the terminology, don't know any of that, that's also in there. So I feel like um, if you're interested in the class, that's your sign. You should you should just go for it because there is something to be gained from you know any walk. Sign up now through the link in the description of the episode. I'll see you there.